You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. <laughs> I, I want to start off the new year with that. Some people are still trying to get it. Just think dad. So I know we're really hopeful for this new year. It's like we enter the new year, like we enter sometimes a relationship with Jesus. We make a decision to trust in him and then we assume our problems and struggles will be all over. Well, yes and no. Now, when it comes to us and Jesus, we are definitely called to trust in him because there's no other hope of forgiveness and eternal life. And yes, he is the prince of peace, and you will never know anything like lasting peace apart from him. But no, a life of faith is not and will not be a bed of roses. Okay, so turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be tough. <laughs> So last week we were introduced to Abram. Can you all say Abram? A great man of faith who had confidence in the Lord, and so he left his homeland, went wherever God took him. Now we would think that when Abram finally arrived in the land of, of promise, that life would be wonderful and peaceful and prosperous. After all, Abram was the center, was in the center of God's will, right? But in fact, the next chapters of Genesis will tell us of the test after after test of Abram's faith and the things that he will encounter and some of these tests he will fail. But this life of faith, this year of faith, will not look like an hour decision. It will be a lifetime of learning. That's what faith is. It's a lifetime of learning. It will seem like an endless string of trials and an exercise in failure and restoration, but get back up. Life isn't a game. Life's not a joke. Life is a school where you learn where you mature, where you sometimes have to fight, where you get disciplined, and this new year will be no different. So let's learn through Abram how God wants us to live this new 2017 year, a year lived by faith. Can you say by faith? Can you say amen? And so our sermon will actually come from chapter 12, verse 10 through 13, 4, but I'm sure you already know that by now. So here are my three points I believe the Lord wants us to hear as we begin this new year. My first is this, don't let fear destroy your faith. Don't let fear destroy your faith. Now, I'll, I'll be honest. I'm an incredibly cautious person, maybe even a fearful person. I am. Now, when it comes to crossing a road, I don't just look both ways before crossing it. I make calculations. I make calculations. Like, if there's a car that's 200 yards down the road, but it looks like a sports car, a fast car, which means if the guy is crazy and decides to floor it, that car can probably do 400 yards, which is a quarter mile, in maybe about 12, 13 seconds. And that means since he's only 200 yards away from me, he can hit me in six seconds. You're probably thinking, who's the crazy one? <laughs> so I'll just let it pass. Because, you know, math. Now, you're all probably thinking, that's a day that's a bit <laughs> extreme. I'm a cautious person. I just am. I'm sorry. I'm a fearful person. But we all have fears, don't we? People don't 
sometimes smoke, not just because of the smell or whatever, but because they have the fear of getting cancer. Or we teach our kids to be careful with things that are hot and sharp because of fear of injury. I also think some fears are good. It protects us, right? But there are some fears that are silly. We have a fear of not looking the part at work or at school, so we have to wear the latest trend or the latest fashion. We just have to. I don't want her to make fun of my high heels. They're so last season. So there are fears that are good. There are fears that are silly. But did you know that there are fears that are sinful? There are fears that are sinful. Those are times when fear keeps us from faithfulness, when fear overwhelms our faith and causes us to disobey God. Don't let that kind of fear destroy your faith. Not this 2017 year. Don't let it. That's what we observe in Abram as his faith was tested. Actually, there were two times, two events that nullified his faith. The first test is found in verse 10. So Abram is moving about in the land of Canaan, and then a famine, an extreme, a severe famine develops. A big famine. So the famine forces Abram to pack up and head to Egypt because he learns that there's food there. A man's got to do what a man's got to do. He's got to provide for his family. He's got to take care of their needs, right? But if you were here yesterday morning for the sermon I gave on Ruth, in a very similar way, God, he made very explicit promises to Abram. He says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless those who bless you. I will give your descendants all this land, and I will starve you to death. No, of course he didn't say that. If God went to great lengths to bring him here all the way from Ur to Chaldeas, God's not going to abandon all his promises because of some famine. You get that? Did you know God was in control of that famine? And God's in control of the famine of your life. If God saved you, he's going to maintain you. He'll lead you. And you don't have to worry about what you'll eat, where you'll work, and who you'll marry, because God is in control of your famine. So what does Abram do? Does he trust? Does he rely upon the Lord? No, in fear, he goes to Egypt, because he's afraid. He's afraid of starving. He's afraid of going hungry. You might think, well, what else is he supposed to do? He was supposed to trust in God. He is supposed to rest in God's promises because there's no indication that God directed Abram to go to Egypt, but nevertheless, Abram goes. It's interesting how Egypt is oftentimes used in the Bible as an example of the world. Because when trusting in God gets hard all throughout Scripture, people, God's people always get tempted to go back to Egypt. When times get hard, God's people always get tempted to think back about Egypt. They put their faith in Egypt. Let me ask you this. What's your Egypt today? What's your Egypt? Who's your Egypt? This new year might not be the easiest for you. You might, conti- you might continue with your struggle with addiction. You might struggle with finances, with your personal relationships. What will you go? Where will you go to bring comfort into your life? Because like Isaiah, if it's not the Holy One of Israel, then whatever your Egypt is, though it might bring some semblance of comfort and familiarity, it will not grow you. It will not expand you. It will not mature your spirit. Deny your Egypt. The fear that Abram had was the fear that God wasn't who he said he was. So Abram placed his faith in what he, was, what he has seen before, what he has experienced, what he knew. He didn't step forward in faith. He stepped back into the comfort of believing that God wasn't good, so he needed to put matters into his own hands. How many, how many times do we do that, people? 
Don't let fear destroy your faith. Amen? But that was only the first example because the second issue is recorded in verses 11, 13. Let me read it real quick. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister. They may go well with me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. All ladies say, aw. No, please don't. Okay, so Abram was concerned what would happen to him because of Sarai, his wife. She was beautiful. Turn to his sister next to you and say, you're beautiful. Look, I know, okay, I know it's hard to wrap our heads around this because we know her age. She was around 65 years old. I'm not saying there, there aren't beautiful 65-year-olds or anything like that. My mother is almost 65. She's a beautiful woman and everything. But in those days, people, they regularly, genuinely live past 100 years of age. So if anything, she would have been like a woman in her 30s. So Abram responded, and, she, and he reasoned in his mind, dang, my wife is so hot. She's so hot that the Egyptians, oh, those Egyptians, they would probably kill me to take her. Was it a legitimate fear? Sure. I mean, people did a lot worse for a lot less. So Abram feared for his life, so he devised a plan. He says to Sarah, his wife, he says, hey, honey, tell them you're my sister. And here it is. Granted, it was a half-truth because she was his half-sister. But the intent was still founded upon fear and deception. Now, maybe Abram thought, maybe he thought this through. Maybe he really thought this through and planned it out. And he, and he thought, you know what? What if someone does want Sarai as, my, as their wife? Then that means me as her brother, that means I have ownership of her, especially back in those days. They would have to negotiate with me. Right? And if they negotiate with me, then we could drag it out for months because oftentimes these type of negotiations last for months. And, and if it takes months, then maybe, maybe the famine will be over by then. And if the famine is over, then, wow, maybe you can escape. That's my plan. Or maybe Abram's like, well, honey, it was good while it lasted. Have fun in Egypt. I hear there's a lot of sandy beaches. Ultimately, his plan was driven by fear. He abandoned his faith. Abram's goal was to protect not his wife, not his future, not the promises of God, but his own life. This guy wasn't even thinking about his wife. I mean, when God promised to give Abram descendants, when God says, I'm going to bless you, that you can be a father of all nations, and you're going to have so many descendants, they will be innumerable and impossible to count. It was implied that it would require two people to make that happen. But Abram feared, and he thought that God could not preserve him and that God could not preserve his wife. Now, the thing about Abram's fear for his life was that it was actually pretty logical. He needed food, so he went where there was food. He knew he could lose his life, so he devised a plan to protect his own life. But as logical and as natural as that, that thought process might have been, it was still flawed. Why? Because he forgot that God he served was bigger than the problems he faced. Do you know how big your God is? He is bigger than 2017. He is bigger than any Egypt that you might go back to. He is big, and he is bigger than any, any fear or any problems you might face. Now, I'm sure Abram believed that God was going to do all these things through him. But the problem Abram faced was thinking that God needed Abram's help in fulfilling these promises. 
Abram thought too much on the potential disasters and not enough on the little bit of obedience God wanted for him. God wasn't asking him to do crazy stuff. He was just saying, trust me a little. Just a little, trust me. Sometimes obeying God may not seem to make any sense when you see the famine looming over your head. But no matter how difficult your situation might be, God is telling you to trust faithfully in him and obey him in the little things, folks. If you, if you ground yourself in the word of the Lord, if you ground yourself in community, if you ground in yourself in prayer, these I'm talking about are the little things. These are the little things that God ends up using to grow us. Did you know that? These little things in your eyes thinking, it's just QT, are you kidding me, Pastor David? I need a miracle. Prayer, are you kidding me, Pastor David? I need healing. Community, church, fellowship, worship, attendance, are you kidding me, Pastor David? I need something gigantic to happen in my life in order to change my course, to change my circumstances. And God's saying, it's the little things I need you to obey in because it's in the little things that I will ground your faith in and you will grow. And I will give you endurance and I will allow you to persevere, and I will make you holy, and I will strengthen you. It's in the little things. Say it in the little things. Sometimes it's just a question of, do you fear God or do you fear man? Do you fear God or do you fear the world? Fear that is not placed in God is a fear that will destroy your faith in God. Let me say that again. Fear that is not placed in God is a fear that will destroy your faith in God. So we fear what might happen to us, what people will think of us, of the consequences of radical obedience in God. And look at Abram. His fear led him down an even more muddied scheme. Now, you might think Abram may have overestimated Sarai's beauty. I mean, she's really that pretty. Was she? Was she really that pretty that people would want to kill him over her? Well, according to verse 15, I think Abram underestimated Sarai's beauty because he certainly didn't count on having to negotiate with the pharaoh. So the Pharaoh heard of Sarai's beauty, and he takes her to his palace so she could be a part of his lovely harem. In other words, his group of wives. Everyone say, isn't that romantic? Now, it wasn't like Pharaoh was stealing Sarah from, from Abram. It's actually the fact that he would go to Abram's sister and say, hey, she is so amazing and so beautiful that I want her to be part of you know, one of my concubines. It was supposed to be great honor. And we read in verse 16 that Pharaoh took really good care of Abram. He lavished him with gold. He lavished him living a royal, luxurious lifestyle. Abram got rich. Abram essentially became the Pharaoh's brother-in-law. But at what cost? Giving up his own marriage? giving up on the promises God had made, leaving the homeland God led him to, leaving behind the family he had built. Look, in life, you may do things that may look like blessings. You may choose paths apart from God that may resemble the right choice in your eyes. But if in any ways goes against God's commands, it will cost you. Just because you get some sort of benefit from it doesn't mean it was the right path because all of what was happening to Abram was so far off from what God was trying to do for him. So this plan of self-preservation has now cost Abram, and there was no way out. Does that sound familiar to you? You feel you're cornered? We do that all the time. We set aside God's narrow road of trusting in his word because we think we have a better plan. It will cost you. Hey, well, at least we don't have to address our fears. 
So we'll be living in our lives, scheming and manipulating the situation, trying to keep all the balls in the air. But someday, one day, all those balls will come crashing down. It will happen in our personal lives. It will happen in our professional lives. It will happen in our churches. It will happen in our families. Whenever we're driven by fear, whenever we refuse to live by faith, it will come crashing down on us. It's only a matter of time, but the story is not over. Our second point is that God, he guarantees his own promise. God guarantees his own promise. Now, for this new year, we like to make resolutions, right? Resolutions are promises that we make to ourselves. I now promise to work out more. I promise to eat better. I promise to attend church more, to give more, or to love more, to be less angry, to be less jealous or less busy. We make these promises. And so when we see Abram and his web of lies and fear that he spun for himself, we're thinking that this guy has lost it. But here's the truth. Even in fear, Abram may have forsaken all of God's promises, but here it is, people. All those promises weren't dependent on Abram. They only depended on God. No matter what kind of mess Abram has made, God had only just begun to act. Like I said yesterday, you may think you're finished with God, but the Lord is not finished with you. So what does God do? He sends plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. Now, can I get a little bit personal here? God is protective of his daughters. And he doesn't take lightly to anyone betraying any one of them. The fact that you're married to one of them or that you're planning on marrying one of them does not mean that he will not stop avenging her. The reason why women have such a hard time following Ephesians chapter 5, 22, where it says, wives, submit to your husbands because more often than not, we haven't given them any good reason to. So here's a personal charge and challenge to you men, to you husbands, to one day guys who will one day become husbands. A real man, the world will always say, is one who wears flannel and has chest, has a hairy chest and drives a Ford. A real man, according to the Bible, isn't someone who puts his wife first. Get that. A real man is not someone who puts his wife first. A real man is someone who puts Jesus first. Because only a man following Jesus will know where to lead his wife. Amen? Tangent over. Okay, so Pharaoh gets a message. The Pharaoh forces I'm sorry, the plagues forced Pharaoh on his knees. We don't know how Pharaoh knew it was God, maybe because the plague affected every single person except for Sarai. Maybe that was the reason why. But either way, he got the message. Now here's where Abram gets humbled. Remember, Abram was considered a pretty high guy. He was the one who God promised to be a blessing to all the nations, the father of all nations. How is he right now? Abram has become the bane of an entire nation's existence. They hated him. What is this you have done to me, the Pharaoh said. Why didn't you tell me she was your sister? Take her and go. What happens when we abandon our faith and do it our way? You will be humbled. You will be humbled. And so with the final words from Pharaoh, Abram packs up and he leaves. And this goes to my last point. Don't let failure Bring you down, but let it drive you back to the cross. Don't let failure bring you down, but let it drive you back to the Lord. What happens when people fall? 
They get bitter. They get resentful. They get angry at the world. They get angry at God. Their pride gets hit, and so they get embarrassed at being caught in their foolishness. So we have people who move away, people who leave the church, people who abandon life groups, all because they know they failed. Wouldn't you say that Abram failed pretty badly? Yeah, I think so. But I want to read a few verses because here you'll see something amazing. This comes from chapter 13. So Abram went up from Egypt. This is after the entire, after he left Egypt with his wife, after the plagues hit and everything. So Abram went up from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. What do you do if you fail this new year? What do you do when you fail this new year? Here we see Abram in his Messy failures retrace his steps. So get this. He had come from Bethel, down into Negev, and into Egypt. Now, now he goes to Egypt, up into Negev, through the land, until he comes to Bethel. But what was so special about this place called Bethel? This is where he last sacrificed to the Lord. This was his place of worship. And so in his failure, get this, he bombed big time, didn't he? But in his failure, Abram returned. He didn't run further away. He returned and worshiped there again, calling upon the name of the Lord. What should we do when we fail, folks? Come back to the place of worship. Retrace your steps back to the Lord, and only in him will you be able to start anew. You see, God He's calling us to return to the gospel. Why? Why the gospel? Because that was the beginning point of our faith. We must confess our guilt and our desperate situation before God. Forget this whole saving face junk. I've experienced far too many people leaving the church, abandoning their faith, disconnecting with their fellowship, all because of their failures. You are not called to bear your sins. That's Jesus' job. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. He says, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. That's Jesus. Don't let fear destroy your faith. Trust that God guarantees his own promises, and it's not up to you. But lastly, if you fail, and when you fail, let your failure drive you back to the cross where you can lay it before the one who made atonement for your sins. This new year, 2017, is not a year of perfection. It cannot be a year of perfection. It will not be a year of perfection, but it can be a year of grace. A year where you surrender it all to him. A year where you recognize your weaknesses and recognize God's strength. Like Peter, who faithlessly denied Jesus. Remember how Jesus restored him after the resurrection? Where did Jesus meet Peter? It was on the shore of Galilee, wasn't it? The same place where Jesus called him the first time. And folks, Jesus calling you back to him today. And every day after that. So that you'll be reminded that though you may have let go of your first love, he has not let go of you. 
So don't let fear get in the way. Don't let your failures get in the way. But come back to the place where you met him, and he will make you anew. That is his promise, and he's sticking to it. And that's the promise he gives to you this new 2017 year. Not a year of perfection, but a year of his grace. Come to him. Retrace your steps. Come back to the gospel. Amen? Let's pray. We will be taking Lord's communion today, but before we do that, I want to give you guys just a moment to respond to what you have heard today. Don't put it to the wayside. Let the Spirit of God, who is here, and he is talking to you. He is speaking to you. Open your hearts to him. Lord, what have, what have I been fearing? What have I been constantly going back to as my Egypt? Why can't I place my hope in you even in the midst of all these famines? Take a moment and pray, and then we'll go into our communion. Let's pray. Let's humbly approach this ordinance with humility, with self-examination, as we check our own hearts. God, he does not want you to partake in this in a way where you disregard or whether you harbor the sins of your life but that in faith you would approach his throne of grace and say, Jesus, you have died for me. You have died for me because of these sins. And these sins that have been plaguing me, the Egypts of my life, the fears that I possess, God, I lay it before the cross. I dare not minimize the sacrifice you made. For the sacrifice you made covered all my sins past, present, future. There is no sin that is too great that you can't forgive. 
And so check your hearts. We always hate it when people judge us. This is an opportunity for you to judge yourself and make sure that you approach this communion in a way where you have truly surrendered and given up on yourself so that you can receive the grace of God. You see, God, he works through the humble. He works through the broken. He works with those with a contrite spirit, not with those who say, I've got it figured out. Not with those who say, I don't need you, or I can do this on my own, or I'll go to Egypt and make it for myself. It's when you surrender, just as Christ surrendered on the cross for the will of his Father. So take a moment and pray, and when you're ready, please come up. We have two aisles where you can join us for the Lord's Supper. I take this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Not an opportunity to simply continue on with a tradition that has been going on for centuries. But Lord, an opportunity for us to remember. An opportunity for us to reflect and to examine our, ourselves in light of the great sacrifice that you have done. The sacrifice, Lord, that on that cross, which bore our name, was our place. And yet, Lord, you died the death that we should have died. And we thank you. So we take this in thankfulness. Father, for you have sent your son Jesus to die on our behalf. Even while we were enemies, you reconciled us. But Lord, we also pray in sorrow that it was our sins that led to this great sacrifice on Jesus' part. So God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the message. And we pray for this new year. Pray that you would work in our hearts and that we would not think that this year would be a comfortable, easy, suffering-free, perfect year, but a year we know where your grace will lead us a year where we know, Lord, you are already there. And so we confide, we place our complete confidence and hope in your son, Jesus. We thank you for loving us the way you do. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Please join me.